in the late 1970s, two comic book companies are king. DC and Marvel. They'll never work together. There's too much competition, too much infighting, too much... Wait, that person's worked on both... Co- oh, hmm. And that person's worked for both... Co- you know? What happens if we took chocolate and peanut butter? Two great tastes that taste great together. We're talking about Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man. Miles, friend, how are you today? I'm doing well, and I am excited to be talking about comics again. I really am. It's been a, it's been a hot minute. Yeah, they, these are always fun things that we do when it comes to comics. I Doing this show got me into comic books. It's always a, a little bit more of an ask for folks because it's a little bit outside. Kind of like reading books. It's a little bit outside of the, the ease for, for some folks uh, or, or just, you know... Yeah, just and, and, this, and this month, we're not just doing comics. We're doing some of the most fun things to do in comics, which are comic book crossovers. This this is like the eternal thing. It's like, oh, what if so-and-so met so-and-so? Or who would win a fight? Like Comic book fans or fans of anything in general love having these hypothetical conversations. So it's always super fun, entertaining, and just a delight to to actually get an official product that does that thing. For sure. And what we are going to talk about today is one of the biggest ones, mostly because these are two companies that have crossed over in the past. You, there's one particular uh, crossover uh, and for our comic crossover cavalcade uh, that that uh, I'm still debating that name, still workshopping that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what's cool about what we're doing uh, this week is this is the very first time we see these two companies come together Um, with the exception of these two companies did do a weirdly enough, a wizard of Oz comic book. They teamed up on that, but in in terms of their actual superhero characters, this is the first time. Yeah. Metallo uh, needed a heart. Wait, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I would not be surprised if they had done. I know Marvel at one point did these uh, kind of storybook versions of uh, fairy tales and classic stories in the, I think the late 90s. I think they had a, a Wizard of Oz comic. And I know they did some different adaptations using their characters, but <laughs> I I, I if I, I don't see Metallo being on the side of the angels, so he probably couldn't quite be. Uh, who needed who needed a heart? Was the scarecrow? Uh, no, scarecrow needed a brain. Tin Man needed a heart. Okay. And the lion just needed, the lion some needed courage, courage. 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 Some courage. Some c- c- courage. So anyway, the story of Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man starts in kind of an unlikely place. Literary agent. David Opst. And Opst had recently gained himself a good bit of a reputation, some some good old-fashioned clout, because he helped get All the President's Men, the book by Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, published, and then also adapted into the Oscar-winning film of the same name, starring Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford. 
Uh, if this sounds familiar, it's because this is the story of the two reporters that uh, uncovered the Watergate scandal uh, and the reason why we call everything Gate now. That's a controversy. Which is a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> Uh, there, is a, that. <laughs> there is a great uh, uh, Mitchell and Webb look uh, <laughs> sketch where they talk about Watergate Gate because it's the gate about the Watergate Hotel, so it's Watergate Gate. I mean, I, I, we still use Gate, but like I, for me, everything kind of uh, the, the, it jumped the shark when uh, back in the two thousands uh, when they had found all of those light brights with the Moonites on them in Boston and thought they were bombs. And it was dubbed Aquagate. Uh, the Moonites from the Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It was it was an ad campaign for Cartoon Network at the time, and it was also I, a I, bad look for it was Cartoon it was Network a, to put random electronic devices around a. Thing. It was even then because yeah, it, it, it was you know pre uh, marathon bomb, but post nine eleven, it it was not smart. Uh, funny, but not smart, and. I think the two people behind it got uh, fired, but but the, anyway, it was called Aquagate, and I just remember thinking it was the dumbest thing in the world. I was, don't call it that. It's, it, why do we have to call everything Gate? <laughs> anyway, back to Watergate Gate. So Opst, who was the the literary agent for Woodward and Bernstein, became the agent for none other than Stan Lee. Uh, in the early 1970s. And, uh, of course, Ops himself was a comic book fan, and he dreamed of becoming a movie producer. So he started bugging Stan Lee about uh, why DC and Marvel had never done a crossover, specifically with the two most popular characters in comics, arguably. Superman. Well, at the time. At the time. Superman and Spider-Man, which, to which Lee replied... I'm not going to do a Stan Lee impression. I, I, I was going to say, like, do it, I do it, did. I would do it. it would be, well, Excelsior. it would be impossible. We'd never be able to make a deal. Excelsior. <laughs> I'm making yeah, a cameo. Because Ops, Ops initially wanted to make a Superman, Spider-Man movie, which is insane. Like, just thinking about that, the logistics of making that happen is, is nuts. Um, but Lee finally resigned to Ops' suggestions when he agreed to negotiate if he could get... Uh, DC publisher Carmine uh, Infantino to negotiate. So basically, his his idea was like, yeah, yeah, if you can get them to talk, well, I'll I'll talk to them, thinking nothing would ever come of it. However, uh, Ops was a little more persistent than Lee gave him credit for. And at this time, you had plenty of superstar artists like John Romita, Gil Kane, Steve Gitko, Dick Ayers, going back and forth between these two companies. Sometimes they'd work uh, for one for a couple years and then turn around and work for uh, a run on the other companies and then go back and work for the prior. So this was not beyond like the, the, the realm of reality as far as like people being familiar with, with these characters. It wasn't out the question. And when both parties finally became in agreement – the duties were basically split down the middle between uh, DC's Jerry Conway as the writer who had previously written for Spider-Man and Mar Marvel's uh, Ross Andrew on art who had worked on Superman in the past. So it was a perfect fit for an out of continuity story that featured these two explosively popular heroes. And it was it was later revealed years and years and years down the line in an interview that both uh, DC and Marvel popular artists uh, – Neil Adams and John Romita Jr. redrew some of the characters in terms of the art 
it's a specific figures of art of uh, Spider-Man and Superman, respectively. New Adams did Superman and Romina Jr. did uh, Spider-Man, which reading this book, you can 100 percent tell definitely like that, that you had those specific art styles in motion because this this book and we're we're gonna get this is the, this, the history is pretty the book came out in 1976 and that's all she wrote <laughs> um the, the 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 thing that's sad is is there's not a lot of um a background information on on some of the stuff that at least that's been told and uh, we haven't said this at the top of the episode but we did this and we're also going to do dc uh special series number 27 the incredible hulk versus batman uh, just because I felt like, uh, which I will be referring to Bruce V. Bruce. Yeah, that, that, that's fantastic. Bruce Don, squared. Dawn of justice. Bruce Bruce. Um, that's a, that's a, that's really good, Drew. Um, <laughs> but the, the weird thing about this book in particular is it is a hundred percent in terms of the type of product it is. Uh, it is a product of its time. <laughs> yeah. and 1976 is when this book came out uh, so we have and, and this is another thing to, to mention women uh, that comic book creators working on books for different the different big publishers had happened in the past but it was becoming more of a regular occurrence by this point you know you had yeah I, oh go ahead I was going to say, you had uh, uh, the falling out between uh, Stan Lee and... Um, um, Kirby? Yeah, Jack Kirby. And Jack Kirby had gone from from Marvel to do the the, the new gods at DC by this point, I believe. Um, and, just, and again, it's, it's one of those things where I look back on it today where we have had people on this show that have written for DC, Marvel, Image... <laughs> Dark Horse. Yeah, and, and, and all the in-between. And this is, yeah, this is definitely before the days of exclusive contracts. So you had people basically going wherever the work was or wherever they were wanted. Um, it, eventually, you had guys like, uh, like we said last week, Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams, and we're talking about Batman, who had this very important run, and they kind of stuck around. But both of those guys worked for both companies. I mean, it was not out of the ordinary uh, what strikes me interesting about this, because I had not read this book in, since I was a kid. And one, I forgot, this book is long. It's 90 pages. It's extremely long. <laughs> like, this is a full-on basic graphic novel. And I, I was pretty impressed by that. Like, it wasn't just this... Um, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for, but it wasn't just this, this, this you know, pony show. Like, they, they full-on made a big story featuring Superman and Batman. I'm sorry, Superman and Spider-Man. And it didn't occur to me until I started reading it because the, the it opens up with what feels like a 10-page Superman mini-comic. <laughs> and then a 10-page Spider-Man mini-comic. And then a 10-page Lex Luthor and, and Dr. Octopus, Octopus comic. And, and again, this is one of those things where it's definitely reads like like it's of the time, and I don't know if y'all have gone to back to read pre mid eighties comics, uh, but back then they they couldn't leave anything off the page. Oh no! Like imagine Stanley's true believer like persona. That is how the comics were written. Well, but not ju not just that. It was it's like 
stage directions were spoken by characters. You know, oh, yeah. It, it's one of those things where nowadays, and I don't know whether it's just because they trust the art more or if the art is just better that you can show things better now. But, you know, oh, well, if I just, oh, but that didn't work. I have, must think of another way. And it's all these thought bubbles coming out of their heads. And it's just one of those things that makes this, for me, a particularly dry reading. Um, it's it's interesting because, yeah, it's very Silver Age in how it's written. And what's weird is the 70s was a time where comics, the, the writing was starting to tighten up. It was starting to become more mature, and not just thematically. I mean, the writing itself was starting to, um, I don't want to say take it seriously, but they were starting to to start flesh out these, not grounded, but these these more realistic stories, these stories that had some emotional weight behind them. And it was less of the... Uh, the Batman 66 style storytelling. And that's what kind of threw me off because this is a rat, not too far from when like Ra's al Ghul is introduced and you have some really serious Batman stories. So I was a little thrown off as to how, yeah, like you said, how dry this book reads. But there's other little things about it. So, so just to kind of, I'm going to explain in 10 sentences what this story is. Uh, Superman stops a robot the robot's piloted by Lex Luthor, though he doesn't know it, and Lex Luthor has stolen something. Spider-Man stops an art heist. The art heist is done by Dr. Octopus, Aki, and we learn about the flying octopus uh, uh, ship. Uh, I also gotta love that he threw shade at his own Spider-Mobile. It's <laughs> pretty good. That was great. <laughs> it was pretty good. Uh, in this universe... Both Metropolis and New York exist, which they technically do in the main DC universe anyway, though that's not something that's always stated because Metropolis is often a stand-in for New York. Uh, and uh, just so happens that Clark Kent, who is a television reporter now and not a, a newspaper reporter, which is something that I didn't think happened until much later on uh, yeah. in the Superman story, uh, uh, that takes the, the whole... Uh, I forget what the company is. It's not the Daily Planet, but it's it's run by the same guy. Uh, to New York well, City no, for this it wasn't convention. Perry White. I don't know who this guy was. Uh, I, I do not know who this character was. He is the like, guy. Always, he, he owns the Daily Planet, supposedly. Right, and I was like, I don't know who you are. Like, I because we, we see JJ, we see JJ Jameson, J Jonah Jameson for the Daily Bugle, but I expected to see Perry White, and I was I the entire time I was like, I don't know who this this Yahoo is. Um, I gotta say, some of the some classic J Jonah Jameson writing in this book. Oh, I, th if there's one character they got a hundred percent right, it's JJJ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, so of course, as they're all in New York City. All of a sudden, Superman swoops down and zaps Mary Jane and Lois Lane with his laser vision, and they disappear. And as Peter Parker gets really angry at this super guy, this this dude who he's heard about on the news, uh, so does Clark Kent, who was standing there watching it happen. A little bit of an out-of-body experience. Oh, it turns out it was a fake Superman built by... Uh, by Lex Luthor and Doc Ock. And I, I, I gotta say, then they go to space I, for some reason. I don't really understand why it needed to be space, but I don't either. Seventies. <laughs> Again, we're still at the, the, the leading out of the sort of super science era of, of DC comics and into the, the 
I'm putting real, I, I'm doing air quotes around real, uh, but this is an audio <laughs> podcast, so you can't see this. The more realistic take on on some of these stories. So one th- one thing that does uh, strike me about this is I know that Conway had written for both Superman and Spider-Man, but out of all the characters, I feel like Spider-Man is there in in name and costume only. I don't feel like Peter Parker is there. He's one good, Peter's a dick. <laughs> he's angry in this. In yeah, this. He, he gets he gets angry. He's throwing punches. He he also uses really weird. Like he literally uses. Uh, I don't know the last time you saw a mighty wind, uh, uh, Miles. It's been a while. <laughs> so, so there's a character in a mighty wind who was an old TV uh, guest star who had a catchphrase. What happened? What happened? <laughs> and Peter Parker, Spider Man, says that on the page. H O P P. What happened? And I just I, uh, I, I, I do not was... like how Peter or Spider Man is necessarily written, based on what I, I I know of the character having written read him for a while. But that said, one thing I do like is if I were a DC fan and I only read Superman comics or I only read like you no know, just certain DC books, and I was like, oh, I, 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 Superman versus Spider-Man, this sounds like it could be cool. One really good thing that both the books that we read today did is not only does it give you like a, a little 10-minute mini-comic featuring the character that you may not be familiar with, after that, it gives you a nice two-page spread of the origin of Superman, the origin of Spider-Man, and it tells you everything that you really need to know about that character. Everything else in context is given to you. Yeah, and, and I actually like that they did that for the the villains as well. Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised by that because yeah. I, I turned the page. I was like, I, I I mean I know who these guys are, but well, okay, fine. <laughs> and again, I chalk this up mostly to there's a style of writing that DC has always had, and a style of writing that Marvel has seemingly always had, where DC's characters and again I'm speaking in generalizations. DC's characters are typically the larger-than-life archetypal characters, and yeah. Marvel's characters are the everyman characters. The the, for lack of a better term, they're they're the the set upon. They're the they're the 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 more human of the the two. And again. Speaking of generalizations, there are exceptions to prove everything. It's, it's it, it is the preconception of the brands. Yeah. So this is where I think it's also feels like more of a DC book than a Marvel book. And you mentioned how Superman feels like Superman, but Spider-Man feels like a a, a paper mask. A paper yeah. Bag. He, he, I, I, like I there's think, some cool moments, but I, I think the same is also true of Lex Luthor and Doc Ock. Because mm-hmm. I think Lex Luthor in this is great. He is like the the scenery chewing, oh yeah, smartest person in the room. Gene Hackman Gene, like, through uh, and it's, through. It's great, and he's he's wearing the the seventies like Lex Luthor Power stole suit. forty pies or whatever that. <laughs> that uh, yeah, and this is one thing to keep in mind. This is pre-crisis. So there are moments where I'm like, wait, did Superman have that power? Oh, yeah. Before the crisis, Superman had like all of the powers. Oh, and, and speaking of before the crisis, uh, Super uh, Lex Luthor and Superboy were friends growing up. 
That was not right. a, that was not a, uh, a an invention of the Smallville, Smallville. TV series, uh, but an accident th- that Superboy caused caused Lex Luthor to lose all his hair and therefore his mind. Yeah, it's it. <laughs> It's uh, although I did I did at least appreciate that, and it also made me appreciate the Smallville approach even more. I'm like, oh wow, they went back to like the the old stuff. Yeah, because um, I had forgot about that. But also, and and again, I I haven't read a lot of Spider-Man comics from this time. I've read a lot of more recent Spider-Man comics, but Doc Ock, on the other hand, feels like a henchman. He does not feel like a super scientist. He feels. He, he, his, he he's, he's along for the ride. He's along for the ride. He's do, doing everything that Lex Luthor set, tells him to do. He doesn't seem particularly smart. He he breaks his glasses at one point and causes a whole thing. Like he has a total Velma moment. I can't see a thing without my glasses. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, I I will say one thing I really do love about this book, and one thing that I was kind of constantly in awe of is is the artwork, and. And seeing the Marvel and DC style at the time really melded together pretty seamlessly. Yeah, uh, I just I, I I would find it interesting to see how they would make this book today. And they have done other crossovers. I mean, the the amalgam word is one that we bandied about when we were talking about doing this challenge. Oh, that, that's going to happen one that day. Happen. I, I, I love the amalgam universe so much. That will likely and be its own thing down the line. But I was so mad at Spider-Verse <laughs> for not including Spider-Boy and because uh, when they first talked about it, they, they were so certain that they had the legality to, to use him. He was in like one of the very first like promo art pieces and then they immediately took that down yeah, well <laughs> they're like oh, wait, we can't do that <laughs> can't do that so uh, but i look at this and i look at the way that this 90 page chaptered novel is this is something where if they did this today there would be same day release of the first two books one from superman's perspective one from spider-man's perspective and then monthly for the next three months it would be the way this this story was told in single issues yeah and what's what sucks is i I don't think we have had a dc marvel crossover since jla avengers i think that might have been the last one which when was that i can't it was like in the aughts um it was it was not recent um I feel like uh, it was a uh, 2004 was that, that may not be the last time those two companies crossed over. Oh no, no, it is as of 2020 is the most recent crossover between DC and Marvel. So, well, and, and it's, if, if our show is any indication, look forward to that announcement in the next two weeks of the next. Marvel yeah. <laughs> uh, for those who haven't kept up, um, we have, we've have been covering some stuff just, just, Randomly, randomly, and then I keep seeing. Oh, here's this, uh, like a couple articles on this special showcase on this, or here's a Kickstarter for the documentary telling you the history of Mist, or uh, a curation on of, of articles on uh, the anniversary of Caddyshack Two, and and all this stuff that just keeps happening. And I, uh, or like while I was suggesting doing a fish story for my birthday, it gets a Blu-ray announcement. Um, 
Tron. Tron gets... and, and the Tron 3 news. So it's it, it, it started becoming a running joke between Drew and I that like if we do if we cover something, it's gonna come back out in the news. <laughs> which is if honestly fine by us. I love crossovers. And while again, this is this is a 70s comic. And if I was a kid in the 70s and I was able to, to you know save up my my ducats for probably two weeks worth of comics, I have no idea how much this thing cost. But at 90 pages, I guess it cost more than your your typical funny book. I I would have loved it. And this would have been what I took on, like, you know, family trips and stuff so I could flip through it. And I mean, because like I said, the artwork is fantastic. You get Superman and Spider-Man on the same page. The story is dry. But if I was eight, nine, ten years old, it would have been amazing. Like, I would have eaten this up because I've read plenty of, of books from this period as a kid and thought they were great <laughs> coming back now yeah it's yeah it's dry um and you can definitely tell tell having having heard that neil adams you know redid some superman stuff and john romita did some spider-man stuff you can definitely tell but i'm i'm most impressed how good those styles look together and this is where i want to switch focus a little bit and move out of the 70s and into the 80s and to talk about our next book. Oh, that... are we not going to talk about accidental racist Superman? Oh, there's some weirdness in that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it, part of it's just terminology of the time. Uh, and, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not great. It's not a great look, and, especially and part, now. Uh, they, 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 I'm just going to say it. They go to Africa to chase things, and they come across some uh, what appear to be... Uh, uh, Maasai warriors and they're in the traditional garb and Sp Superman's like we have come from the sky and we are looking for these evil people to which yeah, one of the guys like yeah I studied at Cambridge <laughs> I know who like, you are oh you're Superman I saw you in, in uh, newspapers when I was studying in London it's like Ooh. and I was just like Ooh. I was like oh this is great and I, I guarantee that that was written specifically for that I, I think that moment was supposed to read the way it, it, it reads now. But it's like, well, one, as a writer, why why are you making Superman look to be a dick? Like, that's... It's not a great it's, look. It's like, weird. Maybe I, give it to the New Yorker. <laughs> also, I do I do also know that all Superman knows of Spider-Man is that he's on the wrong side of the law, which I think is interesting. Well, but if you, if you think about the way that Spider-Man operates at the time... And the campaign Jameson had against him, the the paper, the media was was framing Spider-Man as a a villain. You know, unless you were in the Marvel Universe proper, you often didn't know that Spider-Man was a good guy. That that happened in a lot of even early crossover stories in her company within Marvel is people were like, oh, I don't know about the Spider-Man guy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, last thing I want to say. Is, and this is just a funny line I saw. Superman and Spider-Man are fighting Lex Luthor and Doc Ock on a an abandoned space station by the Injustice Gang. Who, <laughs> one thing that I absolutely love is that the Injustice Gang sounds like a super lame name. And according to Lex Luthor, they were a super lame team and they didn't last very long. <laughs> I also like, and it's putting quotes, we were, we were there to fight justice with a capital J. And like, I mean, that, that, that it, it, it harkens back to what you were talking about of, of the scenery chewing, like just uber mad scientist out of his gourd, Lex Luthor. It's super fun because he talks like a cartoon. 
<laughs> he talks about like creating uh, he saw that that justice had its own group and he had to make one against justice and i was like are you listening this is this is great um, <laughs> um but they're so they're fighting and uh superman says you think you can handle that spider-man and spider-man replies does warner brothers make movies which I just thought was funny because Warner Brothers right. makes all of the DC movies. Right. Well, and see, here's the thing is at the time, and the reason it took so long for this to come together is because uh, DC was in the midst of negotiating the first Superman movie, which came out, I think, in 78-ish. I believe so. I believe so. 78 or 79. But, but uh, also, it's just important to know that Warner Brothers and DC have been associated with each other as far as companies and ownership not necessarily one owning the other like it is today but owned by the same company as far back as the 1960s so that relationship goes back a very long way <laughs> yeah and i feel like if this book were written today ones i they would have gotten spider-man right and we would have gotten every quip and weird you know fourth wall breaking reference we could handle <laughs> um well speaking but, of breaking walls <laughs> sure, but yeah, let's get to our next book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is is from 1981. So just five years later, Batman versus the Incredible Hulk, and I've got to tell you guys, this is way better. It's not just because it's Batman. They they set everything up really well. They they tie everything together super well, and I think it's it's really kind of a kind of a sharp book for for the time it's a really sharp book and it's it's a i i, I tried to do some digging on this one uh admittedly this was a, a late edition um so i don't really have any background for this book because i i would i would be very curious to figure out as to why they chose that this this book came out in uh dc special series issue 27 it was the last issue of the book it's written by uh lynn wine with pencils by jose luis garcia lopez and that's all I know. Like, um, Wyatt had, 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 had spoken a little bit about uh, working on the book, but nothing in so much as to how this book came together. Uh, but I thought since there was a prior second uh, DC Marvel crossover of Superman, Spider-Man again, I thought, well, you know, we both love Batman and this is the third proper crossover between the two companies. Let's let's do uh, Batman Hulk. And I agree with Drew. This this book is is honestly it's really solid. It's a really good story. Even if you don't know all the characters, they do the same thing that Batman or that Superman Spider-Man did is it gives you some nice character breakdowns. And and the way that they start it, they start it in the middle of the story. They tie the two characters, the titular characters together from the very beginning. And they do it so well. From the very beginning, Bruce Banner is working under a pseudonym for a Wayne Enterprises technology group trying to get close to this gamma ray gun that they're working on just so he can try to heal himself. And, of course, that goes horribly wrong as the Joker shows up, who is working for a Marvel villain I had never heard of before, the Shaper of Worlds. He's one that I'm not familiar with at all. <laughs> it sounds like a. Uh... It's it definitely sounds like a, maybe a Marvel cosmic villain or so. I mean, I I could be wrong. I mean, if it it could be a Hulk villain for all I know, but 
it was not one that I was familiar with. But this apparently it came from a cosmic cube is where this this villain. Basically, the shaper of worlds is an all powerful being that can reshape perceptions of worlds, but cannot create those perceptions himself. He has to interpret the dreams of others to interpret those. Yeah, and I thought this is a weird combination, but you know, I started I started thinking about things and kind of looking up around the time. You know, Batman at this point was was the popular character, and The Incredible Hulk had a TV show that was very very popular. Yeah, that's probably why. So it makes sense to put these characters. And, and here's the thing: if you are familiar with the TV show, you are used to the idea of Banner going into a weird town under an assumed name, just trying to get by. So this. This works so well. The setup of this book is fantastic. Um, and, I mean, I, we don't really have to deal, dive, uh, dive too much into as far as, like, oh, what happens? I mean, Drew gave you this setup. And as you can tell, you know, the Joker's working for the Shaper of Worlds to get this gun for reasons. And chaos ensues because the Joker breaks in. He accidentally you know, unleashes the Hulk and convinces the Hulk to attack Batman. And here's where we get our Batman Hulk fights. And it's honestly, it's really good. The art's really solid. The, the art is so good. The, the, there are some, the Hulk is not always drawn exactly the same way, um, which doesn't really bother me because I, I just kind of chalk that up to maybe different artists or like an artist having a different take on the character. Also, the, the cover is different, but of course, I think a different artist did that than the interior art as often happens nowadays. But uh, yeah, I just uh, the, the only real complaint I have about this book is that it still has the same. I must. Oh, he's even stronger than I heard he was and a lot faster. I've got to stay out of range of those bone crushing hands. Da, 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 da. It's like all the inner monologue of everything going on. And, you know, that's well, just something yeah, I, this is something that happened with these books. It's just something that hasn't aged particularly well for me, especially because yeah, the art is so much better in this book that you don't really art- need that stuff. And it, it, I like the kind of you know, at the time the new Joker look, the the um, the purple trench coat, the purple hat. Um, this was you know the reintroduced the, Joker from the, the late seventies. Sharp, the very sharp, skinny chin. Um, also, the what really introduced the the full psychopathic murderer as he kills one of his own henchmen at the beginning, which uh, honestly rings similar to the nineteen eighty nine Batman that we saw last week. Yeah. Um, it's it's very similar to that, but the, the artwork itself, the, I mean, just, just the figure work and the line work in most of these panels are, it's gorgeous. It's moody. It, it feels like a, even if it wasn't Batman and Hulk, a really cool adventure comic. And I, I guess I, I do agree with you that the, the inner monologue stuff is a little jarring, but if you were a Marvel reader and didn't read many Batman comics or vice versa, this does give you enough, you know, from the other person's perspective of what this person can do. Yeah. And I did like that. And I also love that they, that, uh, the Hulk almost, uh, breaks the bat years before Bane does, which was a great, (laughs) A great move. I wonder on some level if maybe somebody was reading that back issue and, and having that idea for, for Bane. But uh, th- th- this is also one of those things where Hulk and Batman are not two that I would necessarily have paired together. But Mm-mm. if you think about the way that 
the Hulk operates. Batman's probably the best person to to go up against him. You know, Superman would meet would meet might with might. You know, uh, Wonder Woman would probably would do the same. But Batman, yeah, and we'll and we'll we will definitely talk about some of those uh, mashups in a later episode down the line because those two were pitted against each other in DC versus Marvel. Oh, but I, I just I really thought this this book was was I don't know it felt. No, it's a it's a really it, it feels yeah. like a brave and the bold type story, especially when like, it comes to the Batman ripping off the mask of the character <laughs> that he's dressed as, and he's it's still great. got I mean, the it's, cowl it's, it's, on. It, it's that matches Malone type thing. Well, I I love it, it's, but it's, it's worse than matches Malone. So think back to the Mission Impossible movies and the face pull off thing that they do in the Mission Impossible movies all the time in those early Mission Impossible movies. It's a latex face. It's a latex face. It's a latex face. But imagine instead of Tom Cruise's face under that face, it's Batman full cow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think it's I think it's so (laughs) funny. And the thing is, the art looks great. Like you want to laugh conceptually at it, but it looks so good. I I just I cannot stress how solid the pencils are in this book. It's it's that it's that 70s Batman that I I love. I love that outfit, even though I I said last week, I love just the, the black outfit with the yellow oval, that classic blue and gray. It, when when done right, it, it captures the same kind of mood, and and Lopez did a phenomenal job, kind of keeping that idea alive here. And I mean, even as a Hulk comic, it's really solid because he's trying to figure out a cure for his ailment. They're going with that that classic story. So if you're a, a TV Hulk fan, you get it. Like, and unlike Superman versus Spider Man. Both of both the Hulk and Batman feel like those characters. Now, I, yes, I understand the Hulk is easy because you just say puny so and so Hulk smash blah blah blah. But even Bruce Banner, Robert Bruce Banner, they're very they're very uh, they point out Robert Bruce Banner, Robert Bruce Banner. Uh, his motivation seems so so normal, and in little things like. He's kind of quick to anger <laughs> in a couple of scenes that that made it feel a yeah. little more real, a little more what you would expect for someone who would turn into the Hulk. Well, yeah, because it it, it, it plays against the type we know where like Bruce has studied all these Zen things. No, this is the guy that's on the road. He's on the run, and he he doesn't he can't quite control himself. And I I, I did appreciate that. I think you're a hundred percent correct because Batman has written pretty well especially of the batman of the time it's he's written like batman and and lynn wine wrote a lot of batman books so that makes sense i was i'm actually more impressed how well he did the hulk uh joker feels like the joker i could not tell you anything about the shape of worlds uh but you even get a a, a cameo panel a, a panel of Thunderbolt Ross and Doc Samson which was great it was it was, it was something that was really fun that was that was awesome even though they were they were they were you know uh clarifying something that didn't that that no longer needed to be clarified um (laughs) it was an excuse to to have you know yeah it's 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 a really really fun book and 
this is the kind of stuff that I want to see in crossovers because I feel like I got a Hulk story. I got a Batman story. And even if it was, yeah, a little wild because the, the villain aspect of this story is pretty wild. The Joker is trying to basically get this gamma gun to quote unquote cure the shaper of worlds. And for, oh, because so that the Joker can be basically become the uh, king of the earth. Which he does for like five seconds. Um, I, I swear I've seen that King of the Earth Joker art. Uh, the else. Emperor Joker run in the early aughts, late 90s. Uh, it was basically a Superman run, but it was uh, the Emperor Joker runs probably you're thinking of. That art looked so familiar. It was interesting. Yeah, because it used very similar style. Um, but yeah, if, if, if I was... If I was going to suggest someone read an early crossover book, it would definitely be Batman Hulk. While I do think the artwork in Superman Spider-Man is very, very good, the overall art in Batman Hulk is so much better, and the story is pretty rewarding. And this one is not a light read either. It's a good 60 pages as well. But it doesn't feel that way, because it's... No, it's, it does as not. As dry as it can be with the inner monologues, it is nowhere near as dry as that 76 book. No, it, it, it's it's definitely not. And again, if I were a kid in the 70s and I and I spent my, my allowance on Superman, Spider-Man, I would not be disappointed. This is a very... Especially considering it's the first major superhero cross company crossover it's a it's a solid book i mean it it does deliver that kind of uh popcorn movie feel but as we push into the 80s and you get especially as batman started to get a little more gritty and uh, touching more realistic and with the Hulk's TV popularity, I think that combo, weird as it sounds, because I remember growing up, and because I didn't read this as a kid, I read it as a teenager, I I would have never put these characters together. Ever. It would, Bruce, I would have never, yeah, I, I would have never put uh, Batman and the Hulk together, but this, this, unlikely enough, works super, super well. <laughs> So I think that's going to wrap it up for our first comic crossover cavalcade. Yeah, um, I, I thought this this might go a little bit longer adding the second book. But I mean, I, with this particular one, there wasn't a whole lot to delve into. They're both good reads. And I really, if you can uh, get a hold of them, I really recommend reading them uh, just for posterity, for, for comic history's sake. But for the Batman Hulk one... DC special uh, DC special series number 27 100% worth uh picking up the book. Uh but I believe next week Drew uh we we're taking a little bit of a turn because someone's celebrating a birthday. Yeah, by the time you all hear our next episode, I will be old. I'll be really old and uh, <laughs> yeah. So Next week, I thought back to, to, to some, some bits of my youth. It's, it's the 1990s, and I'm, I'm sick, and I've recently become oddly obsessed with a particular movie that uh, kept me up at night. And then there was a thing that somehow I got my hands on. I don't even remember the story about how I got my hands on it, where this movie that I was particularly obsessed with 
crossed over with something else. That's right. It's an on-theme birthday challenge. We are going to be. did it. We are going to be. Bad re- himself. <laughs> we are going to be reading 1997's Batman slash Aliens. I am so excited. A two I issue, ha- a two issue series. Uh, you can find it on Comixology for four dollars. Uh, but these issues are longer. It's it's about a. They're forty eight. Page prestige issues, aren't they? Some, uh, th- I think the whole thing's a uh, hundred and something pages. Oh, they may be sixty then. Um, I actually haven't read this one, Drew. Oh. I've read this. I've read the Superman Batman, and I've also read Batman and Superman versus Aliens and Predator, but I have not read the Batman Aliens one. I am so excited for this. I only remember one thing from this and that if you are familiar with the way that the aliens work the the face huggers take the dna of whatever they attach to and there is a particular creature that the uh that that the face hugger attaches to that we get a very interesting alien out of um I'm, i i i have a i have a guess already and I'm not going to say it because I, I have a feeling this is going to be in the, in the book. We'll have to talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Uh, but that's that's it. Batman slash aliens or Batman aliens. I'm excited to read this again. I have not literally haven't read this since the 1990s. So it's yeah, and we should have more information as to how this one was formed. And we'll probably go a little bit more in depth in the story. I just wanted to open up with these two kind of uh, popcorn blockbuster uh crossovers we're gonna get weirder from here on out (laughs) oh yeah uh so that is gonna wrap up this week's episode if you would like to reach out to us you can find us at themoreynerd.com facebook.com slash themoreynerd and of course reach out to us on our most talked about social media account twitter at the more you nerd you can also email us what are some of the comic crossovers that you remember uh, from your youth or adulthood, whatever you, what, what are your favorite comic crossovers? The more you nerd at gmail.com. That's the more you nerd at gmail.com. And until, so until, time, oh. <laughs> uh, so until next time, we're going to end this show as we always do with a rousing nerd. I must nerd out. Nerd out.